Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Why is it we are so uptight? You ever thought about that? I mean, Baptists will sit on their hands to keep from expressing themselves. The grumpiness of the Lord is our strength. The pouty lip of the Lord is our strength. Act like a grouch always, and again I say act like a grouch. Well, I can name about 20 churches in town you can go to and have that happen. But praise God, it doesn't happen here. You want to be free? I mean, do you ever get tired of just introspection and looking at yourself? Not being able to get your life all together? Well, I want to give you a ministry this morning that will turn you around. It's a ministry of intercession. There's not a one of us that doesn't intend to get involved in intercession. Oh, somebody says, pray for us. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, What was it they asked me to pray for? All of us think about it. We have good intentions to do it. But when when it comes down to it, we just don't ever take the time to intercede. Francis Schaeffer said before he died that the only hope for us is a radical stance. We will not be radical by sitting in our pews going through the motions of religion. We'll only be radical by taking a position that God has told us to take. And that's a position of intercession. The text this morning is Genesis chapter 18. As you turn there, I want to tell you what an L.A. Times writer has said. He says, the computer people tell us that this is the age of communication. And yet, children can't communicate with their parents. Parents can't communicate with their parents. And it seems nobody can communicate with God after 6 p.m. Communication. How do we talk with God? It says that the Lord appeared to him. In verse 1 and in verse 2, And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran for the tent to the door to meet them and bowed himself on the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. The first thing I want you to see very quickly is the revelation of God leads to fellowship with God. The revelation of God leads to fellowship with God. If you read verses 1 through 9, you will find that Abraham invited the Lord and these two guests for supper. This was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ with two angels. They came as men in disguise. At first, Abraham didn't know who he was, but then he figured it out. And he had fellowship with God. He sat down and had fellowship with God. Here is a revelation of God that creates Fellowship. God is committed to communicating with His children and to His children having communication with Him. God wants to speak to us and have fellowship with us. It is God's prerogative to speak to us. Thus, it is our responsibility to listen when He speaks. 
to do what he says. Now, God comes to Abraham and he gives him a promise that he had given him 24 years before, and that is he would have a son. But never before has there been a date put on it. God says to him, this time next year, your wife will bear a son. God has given him a date so that he will know who is speaking to him. Now, not only is there a revelation, but secondly, the righteousness of God results in intercession before God. The righteousness of God results in intercession before God. There's two aspects of that. First of all is partnership with God. Prayer, intercession, is partnership with God. Pick it up in verse 16, if you will. Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. Verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do. Now look at verse 20. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to this outcry which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went to Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Andrew Murray said, If we felt intercession was the most important part of our work, the securing of God's presence and power in full measure, then our hours of working would be subordinate to this one thing. Now God accommodates Himself to humanity here, just like He did when Jesus came to earth and laid aside His glory. He didn't lay aside His position as God, but He laid aside His glory and took on flesh so that men could understand what God is like. So he accommodates Abraham to his understanding. He says, I'm going to go down and check out and see what Sodom and Gomorrah are like so I can find out the facts, and then I'm going to let you know some things. We are never more like Jesus than when we are interceding. Ever since Jesus left this earth at the ascension, he has ever lived to make intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit lives within us to make intercessions and groanings that we cannot understand. God is in the business of trying to teach His people to learn to intercede for other people. It is a righteousness of God that results in intercession before God. Here God comes and says in verse 17, Abraham's my friend. By the way, he's the only person in Scripture that's called the friend of God. Second Chronicles and the book of Isaiah and the book of James, three times Abraham is called the friend of God. That tells me that if you're going to be a friend of God, you've got to be an intercessor. You've got to be one who knows how to pray because God does not reveal His secrets to everybody. God reveals His secrets to those who are intimately involved with Him. Listen, if you would, write these two references down. Amos chapter 3, verse 7, and Psalms chapter 25, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make known His covenant. Amos chapter 3, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret counsel to His servants, the prophets. Can God trust you with a secret? Can God tell you a secret? Are you on such an intimate basis with God that God can give you an answer to your heart, that God can speak to your spirit, that God can lay something on you that He can't lay on the average church member? Are you intimate with God? 
Are you in tune with God? Biblical praying is partnership with God. It doesn't begin by us taking our requests and laying them before God. Prayer is initiated by God. It is a conviction that He gives. It is a word that He gives. It's a warning that He gives. And anytime you and I pray, I'm talking about biblical praying, God has initiated and prompted that prayer in our hearts. We didn't come up with the idea. None of us just think about, well, I think I'll just pray. God prompts us to pray. Now, we may think about talking to ourselves in religious tones. That's when we ask God to do something, and we get up and we say, God, I'm going to give it in your hands, and then we get up and take it with us. That's worrying on your knees. That's not praying. Prayer is prompted in heaven. It is partnership with God. But secondly, it is a proposal initiated by God. God initiates the prayer. God initiates the burden. Abraham had not heard the outcry in Sodom and Gomorrah, but God had. And so he comes to God, and God takes him into his confidence. Why would God tell Abraham what he was about to do? Because God never lets an intercessor be neutral. Intercessors are not neutral people. They pray specifically. They ask God to do specific things. And so God calls him in and takes him beyond himself into the realm of other people. Now for 24 years, the predominant thing that Abraham has prayed is God give me a son. God give me a son. God give me a son. Now God's going to say, Abraham, I'm going to take you to another level in your prayer life. You're going to learn to pray for other people. You're going to learn to intercede for other people. If God had not proposed and initiated that in Abraham's heart, he would have never done it. He would have never heard the outcry if God had not laid it on his heart. And so Abraham comes and pleads. He is like the writer of Lamentations who says, My eyes fail because of tears, and my spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people when little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city. The closer you are and I am to God, the more God gives us a burden. A burden is not natural. It is supernatural. When God lays a burden on you, it is something that will not let you go. It is something that you wrestle with. It is something that you struggle with. It is something that you cry over, that you weep about. The problem with the church today is we don't have a burden. We have no burden. There's nothing that's breaking our hearts. A burdened heart is the result of being available to the Holy Spirit. Watchman Nee said we need to realize that prayer is not just for personal use or for a devotional purpose. Prayer is a ministry. Prayer is work. It is the responsibility of the church before God because her prayer is the outlet of heaven. Many matters piled up in heaven. Many transactions remain undone simply because God was unable to find His outlet on earth. I would submit to you that if a church is not involved in intercession, they are of no use to the community in which they stand. If a church is not involved in intercession, if a Christian is not involved in intercession, we are doing nothing more than playing religious games and coming to church and acting like we really care. 
Intercession becomes a burden. Andrew Murray said that intercession is a definite work and should be carried on as systematically as preaching and Sunday school. Genesis 18, Abraham intercedes for the first time. And Abraham came near. If you're going to intercede, you're going to have to come near to God. And said, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, what he's doing there is he is not questioning God. He is seeking to understand God's perspective. Abraham looks around and says, Now, God, if you do this thing, then all these pagans are going to think that, that God is unjust and that God is unloving, and that God doesn't care. How, how can you do this? He's trying to get God's perspective. Abraham is not trying to argue with God. He's not trying to bargain with God. He's just trying to get God's perspective on this situation that God has given him. God, how am I supposed to understand this? Notice, he never said the people in Sodom and Gomorrah don't deserve this treatment. He didn't plead out of their innocence. He knew they were guilty. But he pled because of God's character. Listen, you and I have never moved to the level of intercession until we are more concerned about the glory of God and the character of God than we are with getting our prayers answers and our feelings stroked. You understand? If we're not concerned about God getting glory, if we're not concerned about God's name and God's character, and all we're concerned about is God answering the prayer our way and doing what makes us feel good, then we're not intercessors. Intercessors care about the glory of God. God, your reputation's at stake in what you do in Sodom and Gomorrah. How are you going to do this thing? He was concerned about the character of God. Now notice in verse 27, he says, And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust dust and ashes. He was aware of his condition before God. Abraham did not approach prayer as talking to the big man upstairs. Abraham approached prayer understanding that boldness in prayer never rules out reverence for who we're talking to. We need to remember when we pray who we're talking to and who it is that's talking. We need to come before God with a sense of understanding of who He is. Suppose 50 righteous are there. And then He makes six requests. How about 45? How about 40? 30? 20? 10? Now Moses didn't tell us as he wrote this down why Abraham stopped at 10. But I can tell you this. As you study the principle of intercession all through Scripture, God is leading Abraham along. And when God is initiating prayer and God is working through intercession, we ask Him for things that are prompted by Him, proposed by Him, and He says, now come on, come on, come on. Come on and ask me. Come on and ask me. And we ask a little more and we get a little braver. We get a little bolder. He says, now come on. Come on to me. Come on. Get get with me. Come near me. And we ask him a little more. And he says, now come on. Come a little closer. Get a little closer. And then there comes a line where he says, now that's all you need to ask. See, God's holiness has preset limits. And our prayers must always be prayed in light of the character of God and the glory of God. We have to pray in light of who God is. 
But God calls us into prayer. He woos us into intercession. And we are to never ask Him in prayer to violate anything that violates His character. We are to never ask God to do anything in prayer that violates His Word. Now here is intercession going on. These people have obviously not responded to God. They've not been open to God. But intercession is going to be made on their behalf. Now, I don't think Abraham ever thought he could save the city. I think Abraham was praying to try to get God's mind, to understand what God was going to do with the city. I don't think anybody in Albany, Georgia, will ever know what they've been spared from until the rapture when the intercessors are gone. Whatever you read, whatever happens, whatever crime and violence and alcoholism, drugs, anything else, homosexuality, you can read all of that stuff, and I want to tell you something. You take the intercessors out, and this world is hell on earth. What this town owes to godly people who have interceded and intervened on behalf of the name and character of God, it will never know until judgment day. God calls intercessors. Spurgeon said, If lost sinners will not hear you speak, they can't prevent your praying. If they jest at your exhortations, they can't disturb you at your prayers. Have they declared to you that they will never listen to you again? nor see your face, never mind. God's voice they must hear. Speak to Him, and He will make them feel it. Though they now treat you despitefully, rendering evil for your good, follow them with your prayers. Never let them perish for your lack of supplications. Now, he's not talking here about, now God, save the city if it be your will. If it be your will has become the Baptist cop-out for wrestling with God in prayer. It has been, God, I don't want to take time to get your mind on this thing. God, I don't want to really know what you think about this. God, I don't want you to change my mind on this thing. So I'm going to kind of cover it all. If it be your will, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now it's your problem, God. You do it, God, based on what you're going to do. Because I don't want to wrestle. I don't want to have to take a step of faith. I don't want to have to come boldly before the throne of grace. I just want to kind of play at prayer. And God calls Abraham and says, I'm not going to let you do that. You ever notice that Abraham, when praying for the city, never prayed, if it be your will? He never used that little catchphrase. He just said, God, how about this? Lord, Lord, what would you do with this? He is searching to know the specific will of God in that situation. God has come to him and he has prompted him to pray. Now here's what happens to us. We're not like what Spurgeon said. We don't let them uh, go without our intercessions. Some of us see something happen to evil people and we say, ah, it's what they deserve. They had it coming to them. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. The evil have souls. And the evil will spend an eternal destiny somewhere. And some of them will go to hell because the church has not wept for them. I wonder. Don Miller asked us this question last month. How many of us have godless, ungodly, unholy, homosexuals, abortionists, criminals, rapists, murderers, how many of us pray for those kind of people?
I can tell you what your prayer list looks like. It's you and your family and your mom and dad and a few close friends, and you don't even pray for them well. And we wonder why salt is becoming stale and why the light is going out. It's because we have forgotten the very thing that God has called us to do, and that's to get involved in the lives of people through prayer. There's some people that I can't talk to, but I guarantee you God can talk to them. But God may limit His talking to them until He prompts me to have a burden for them. There's a proposal from God, and, and you see Abraham praying for three groups of people. He prays for his family. Now, he never mentions Lot by name, but he prays for his family. Then he prays for the righteous in Sodom. There were at least three that got out. So we know there were at least three righteous people there. Then he prays for the wicked. By the way, how's your prayer list? You got your family on there? Are you just hoping God will work it all out with them? You're just hoping by osmosis that God will kind of get in and get their attention. You got the righteous on there? Are you praying for righteous people that God would protect them? Are you praying for the wicked that God would save them? How's your prayer list? How's your prayer time? What are you bringing before God? John Wesley woke up in the middle of the night one night and his wife begged him to go back to bed and he said, I have the souls of 3,000 to answer for. I don't know how it is with many of them. Can we be honest? There's probably not five people in this room that know how it is with a person that lives right across the street from this church. Some of you don't even know how it is spiritually with the person that you sleep with every night or with your children. Some of us don't know how it is with the people that we wave to and say hi to every time we pull in our driveways. It's not that we don't know. It's that we don't care. It's that we don't care. Could I be real honest with you? Doing nothing is like walking up the down the streets of this community and shouting at the houses, Go to hell. We don't care. I say, Oh, I'd never say that. You have said it by not praying. You have said it by not weeping. You have said it by not kneeling. You have said it by walking by and not being concerned about what happens around you. God didn't tell us to write letters to the editor. God didn't tell us to march and picket. God told us to pray. And it's easier to picket than it is to pray. It's easier to write a letter to your congressman than it is to get on your face and ask God to save him. It's easier to do anything in this world than pray. And it's the very thing God called us to do, and it's the last thing we do. So I want to give you ten principles very quickly in summation on responsibilities of the intercessor. These are all drawn from the life of Abraham. We've been talking about Abraham since November. It's hard to believe, isn't it? These are all drawn from the life of Abraham. Principles for intercession, responsibilities for the intercessor. Number one, you have to have a deep devotion to the Lord. Abraham was a friend of God. He believed God and God reckoned it to him righteousness. You have to have a deep devotion to the Lord. Secondly, prayer must take a priority place in your life. 
Not just an add-on, not just whenever you can throw it into your agenda, not just whenever you can throw it on your calendar. Not just when you get sick, not just when there's an accident, not when there's a crisis. It must have a priority place in your life. Prayer must be a priority. Abraham built an altar, and when he built an altar, it took time. It takes time to pray, to come near to God. Thirdly, you must be willing to stand alone. Boy, it's hard for us to stand alone. Everybody wants to be in a crowd. Everybody wants safety in numbers. It's hard to stand above the crowd and say, God's got something else for us. God's got something He wants to do. What we've done has not been enough in the eyes of God. You must be willing to stand alone. If you're the only one that believes that God wants to make this a praying church, you've got to stand alone and do it. Could I tell you something? Could I be honest with you? So I took Don Miller to the airport in January. He said, No, my Listen to me. I said, yes, sir. (laughs) He said, get ready for your exodus. I said, the exodus? And I said, what do you mean? He said, get ready for those who will leave your church as your church becomes a praying church. I said, why? He said, because carnal people can't stand to be around praying people. You want to know what? If you're lost today, you will feel more comfortable in this church as days go by than people who have been members here for 10, 15, and 20 years who are out of God's will because if you're lost, the Spirit of God can draw you and convict you. Those who are carnal, they wouldn't listen to God if He slapped them in the face. Could I warn you if you're carnal? Could I warn you if you're carnal? If you stand in the way of God making this a praying church, God will remove you so that this can be a praying church. God will take His hand off the life that stands against prayer. God will take His blessings off the life that stands against God's moving through prayer. Hear me. Don't stand before God without a warning. God will remove His blessings and His power and His covering and His protection from anybody or any group of people who will say, whatever it takes, will not let this church be a praying church. They will rise up. My friends, they will rise up and go out the door because they can't stand prayer. Can I be a little more honest with you? Adrian Rogers said, some people bless us by their absence. Let me ask you something. Somebody that's defied the will of God, have you ever missed them if they've left? I haven't. I've been burdened to pray for them and ask them to come back into fellowship and ask them to come back in the will of God. But my friend, listen to me. You have got to be willing to stand alone. God did not call Sherwood Baptist Church to win a popularity contest in this community. God called us to be a praying people. 
and to stand alone. If every church in this town says, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, we must stand alone and say, this is where God's brought us. And without apology. Number four, you must learn to overcome the past. That means when Satan comes to you as the accuser of the brethren and as a deceiver, and he says, yeah, but what about Hagar in your life? you got a couple of Hagars in your life. you got a couple of times when you didn't build an altar. When he comes as the accuser of the brethren, you show him that your life is bought by the blood of the Lamb. You learn to overcome your past. Number five, you must value the spiritual over the material. You must value the spiritual over the material. Abraham would not accept the gifts from the king of Sodom. And he turned around with what he had and he gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Number six, you must learn to sift through worldly reasoning. Remember Sarah's answer? Here's Hagar. It's socially acceptable. Have a child by her and let's settle this thing. You must learn to sift through worldly reasoning. Number seven, you must overcome times of silence from the Lord. You remember between chapter 16 and 17, God was silent for 13 years. Why? Because Abraham was out of his will. You know why God hadn't spoken to some people in a long time? Because they hadn't done the last thing he told them to do. Why should God tell you anything else until you do what he's told you to do before? We're like our kids, you know. They want to go off and do something else, so we've got to keep calling them back saying, wait a minute, all right, take care of this. Then we'll talk about that. You have to overcome times of silence. And if your prayers are not getting through to God, it's not God's fault. God's just being silent until you get things right. When you go to the altar and pray and remember that you have ought against your brother, don't come and leave your offering. Go get it right with your brother. Then come bring the offering. I would read by that that God doesn't accept our offerings, nor does He credit it on our giving records until we've got it right with our brother. IRS may credit it, but God won't until it's right with our brother. Number eight, we must have genuine love for others. Could I give you a statement? I don't have to see eye to eye with you to walk hand in hand with you. That's love. Now let me ask you something. Men, do you and your wives agree on everything? Ladies, does your husband do some things sometimes and you sit back in the back and go, mm, 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 mm. That's the stupidest thing. I'm not going to tell him. But that is the stupidest thing he's ever done. But you know what covers all that? Love. Agape love. Unconditional love. I don't love my wife. I don't love my kids because they perform up to my expectations. I love them because God has placed a love for them in my heart. It's not conditional. That's it. I can't love you anymore. 
I won't have anything to do with you anymore. You've crossed me for the last time. That's not love. I'd say that's never love in the first place. Genuine love for others. It means we love people who don't look like us. It means it loves people we don't act like us, who may not be in the same social class as we are, or the same economic class as we are. They may not be like us. They may not think like we think. It means they may not even be Southern Baptist. But we love them. Unconditional love. You can't work it up. You can't get a program to get it. God has to do that in your heart. And when you love somebody, you pray for them. You pray for people that you love. And God can give you a love for the sinner and still hate the sin. I can hate the sin, but love the sinner. I can hate it because I see what sin is doing to them and yet love the sinner. A genuine love. Number nine, you must die to yourself. That means praying for your enemies, praying for others above yourself. Number ten, you must be willing to be tested. You must be willing to be tested. Only intercessors have the depth to change things. You've got to be willing to go deep with God if God's going to use you. If you're going to get God's attention, if you're going to get a hold of God, you've got to be willing to go deep with Him. Now let me ask you, just look this way for just a moment. If somehow the Lord Jesus were to make an appearance this morning in here, by the way, He is here. You may not have seen Him, but He is here. But if somehow he manifested himself this morning and he came and stood behind this pulpit, I wonder if he would pronounce to us, I am here today to bless Sherwood Baptist Church because they are a praying church. Would Jesus Christ call us a praying church? And if He were to come and He were to walk among us and walk up and down the aisles, if He were to start off this platform and say, Now, I'm going to show you the people of prayer in this church. And He just started walking down. He said, Now, there's one, but they're not one. There's one, but they're not one. There's one over there. But this group over here, they're not praying. This group over here, these people get a hold of God. I wonder, what would happen to us if God started pointing out who who was praying and who wasn't? Would that get your attention? Would you be embarrassed this morning? Are you more concerned right now about the clock than you are prayer? Is lunch more important to you right now than the soul of some lost person that's in this service? I'm just asking, what would happen if God went down row by row by row and took individual by individual and said, stand up, Yes, I know who you are. And you're an intercessor. Boy, when I've got something I want to do in Albany, Georgia, when I've got somebody I want to reach, you're one of the first people I call. Does God do that with you? Does God reach down and propose something to your heart that gets a hold of you? Or is the only way you ever find out about a prayer need is when you hear it announced in the pulpit or from reading the bulletin? Can God get your attention?
Would Jesus Christ this morning call you? Not the person sitting next to you. You, an intercessor. Could God trust you this morning with a secret whispered from the throne room of heaven? Let me ask you another question. Could God trust this church with the destiny of Albany, Georgia? Could God call us like He called Abraham? Could God speak to us and say, I am tired of sin in Albany. I'm tired of bondage. I'm tired of the demonic spirits that are in Albany, Georgia. I'm tired of the evil. I'm tired of worldliness in Albany, Georgia. And I'm just going to wipe that sucker off the face of the earth. Would God come before He did that to Sherwood Baptist Church and bring us to our knees and say, Now, Albany and its future is in your hands. It'll take more than praying five minutes if it be thy will, in Jesus' name, amen, to save that. When I came here in 1989, one of the things that impressed me about this church was that every invitation, it didn't matter. I mean, you could preach on stewardship, you could preach on the family, you could preach on anything. And this altar was covered with people. Covered with people. Today, I can make specific statements about coming to the altar to pray, and nobody comes. My soul, people, listen to me. After all we've heard about prayer, I'm surprised God doesn't check out. After all we know, When is the last time we wept before God over people? When's the last time we grabbed hold of the throne of God and asked God to do something that we couldn't do? January the 19th, I called this church to 40 days of prayer. Have you prayed? Have you gotten before God to see what God wants to do? Are you interceding before the Father? Do you want this church to touch the lives of people? Do you want things to happen? You're going to have to pray. It's not going to happen by us throwing a program on the calendar. The altar is bare. At 8.30 this morning, I gave a definite appeal. A definite appeal for people to come and pray. This many came. After all we've heard, after all we know, after all we've seen, after all we've experienced, after all that God has said to us, what's He going to do with us? And see, some of you are going to come this morning just because you're going to want to make me feel better. And you've missed the whole point. What I'm saying is, God's got to do something to make us a praying church. To get us to be praying people. To get us before God, to learn how to intercede, to learn how to 
care for other people. We spend more time kneeling in front of our television sets than we do kneeling before the altar. And I believe this morning God wants to do a work in this church. Rumor hit me this week. I love rumors. Somebody asked if I'd call the church to prayer because I was fixing to leave. Go to another church. I wouldn't worry about that. I tell you what I would worry about. That all of us would stay and that God would leave. What difference will it make if we build great buildings, if we reach people because of effective staff, good programs, quality music, and God still looks at us and says, you are not a house of prayer. What difference will it make if God can't trust us? with intimate secrets that come from the throne room of heaven. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Catt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.